0: And it's with thanks to Civic Voice and again Matthew Carmona and the Place Alliance and his team that we're here today. And we're very lucky to have Griffith Jones, the President, to give us some of his time and their views on the MPPF and I imagine development in general. He's looking to be very worried now, but I'm sure he'll be fine. Griffith Jones. Uh, thank you so much. Um, I just want to say, uh, before I start really, that um, I'm, th- I'm here as the president of uh, Civic Voice and I was just invited along and I thought I was just going to come and sit in the audience and see what was being said. I feel pretty much like the delegate for Bavaria who turned up at the first parliament of the German Confederation and he sat there for three days listening to everybody. and Finally he got up and he said in a state of great excitement his Said everything that needs to be said has already been said, but not everyone has had the chance to say it. And so I'm I'm sort of standing here, really, um, only to echo pretty much what I've just. If I I can honestly uh, say that I started off uh, here with a with a pen writing down ideas. I just want to show you that I got I got about halfway through the first session and my pen ran out of ink. So I I, I've really taking away. Only what people have said. I wanted to deal with two questions just to start. Firstly, um, as this is as president of Civic Voice, I'm a figurehead. I'm just somebody who's um, used effectively um, for publicity purposes, and I'm very happy to, to fulfil that role. I've gone around. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. Uh, when I speak, tend to follow Civic Voice um, uh, uh, policy because I don't. Uh, I, I, I. I. I think the actual policy is quite complicated at times to define and the reason for that is because Civic Voice is is a confederation of voices, It has a number of different opinions, as we do here today. I'm, I'm impressed. I, I watch this, and I think what we were talking earlier about, we, we watch Question Time uh, on the television uh, every week. And interestingly, um, uh, we discuss there the public, and I've been on it myself a couple of times, the most, uh, the most significant issues, which actually the people on the panel have no capacity to influence in any way. But still, nonetheless, people get terribly exercised about them. But very, very seldom do people actually sit and discuss the issues that do affect their daily life all the time, which is traffic and we've heard a lot about transport today, which may be the growing of trees, and we've all seen what's happened in Sheffield, and we're astounded by the idea that local people can have so little effect on a policy in that, in that particular circumstance. We've heard um, a, a, a very a strong statement saying, why aren't we more like America? And I'm going to answer you there, because in fact, I always think of Yellowstone Park, which was founded as a national park before the uh, United States of America. America, it even explored the entirety of America. It was a a decision taken on its first discovery to turn it into a sacrosanct place and although we can say there are uh, things to be learned from America, we can learn from the fact you can go and stand on uh, on a mountain near to Yellowstone Park and you can look out and see no roads of any kind whatsoever. You can look out on absolutely pristine uh, country all around you and that's a very difficult thing to achieve but it has been achieved in America and but we can say that America also has an extraordinary tendency to waste because for many many years there's been such a lot of it I'd like to also talk about the idea that local people don't involve themselves and don't know what's going on now we've heard a lot of experts today and we've heard a lot of information being being uh, uh, given out and uh, if we were capable uh, uh, even as individuals of taking it all in and acting consistently that would be a complicated thing to achieve but I genuinely believe that people do and can make a difference and the reason I sort of uh, I sort of know that is partly to do with my own history involved in conservation and that's how I came to the business of being involved in any urban environment at all. I happened to walk down Cowcross Street and I thought wow (laughs) Actually, this is a nice place. I, I walked because I didn't know where the gallery was, so I walked up and down it four times. <laughs> but as I did, I remembered that I had I'd lived in. Um, Uh, in Clerkenwell. I came into Clerkenwell and I took over um, a a derelict building and turned it into flats and offices. Funnily enough, it had quite strong B1 listing on the ground floor and that was something. So I became, if you like, a developer. And uh, I still do a little bit of development from time to time, so as a developer with my developer's hat on, I'd also like to say we mustn't assume that developers are the enemy that there's a sense all the time that people talk about developers should do this developers must pay to do that but Developers actually being a developer is quite an expensive business as it is there are a lot of, of uh, experts that you have to meet um, and, and contractors who come on and uh, the architect is simply a, a, it seems at times just a, a medium for bringing in all these extraordinary experts on rights to light and, uh, uh, and you name it so, so, so developers to a certain extent have to be people that we woo and not people that we treat as the enemy they have to be people that we say to this can help you and when you stand in the middle of Cowcross street and if you like me you know what it was like uh, uh 30 years ago it's interesting to know that developers have done it so sensitively in terms of being able to use an existing profile and this is where the historic buildings are so right and so valuable in what they say that an existing profile of historic buildings can mostly, if used properly, enhance the space. That what's happening when people talk about the, the, the high street falling into degradation is that the high street is actually fighting Westfield. It's fighting a contained, well uh, insulated, secure and, and rather beautiful environment when the high street is a uh, wet uh, and often uh, uh, a derelict uh, sort of area to go and do your shopping in. And it's also fighting the internet. And so uh, retail is under threat. Our centres of towns are under threat. We need people uh, to be housed and they can be housed there. And CPRE have recently produced a fantastic um, uh, piece of research which shows that up to 3 million uh, houses could be built within our existing urban environment and help solve what is being cooked up as an emergency. My point is that if we have an emergency. It is partly an emergency caused by very flabby thinking over the last uh, 20 or 30 or 40 years and thinking uh, about the immediate results instead of properly thinking about the future and the places that we build. I'm going to go back to Civic Voice because somebody said uh, that they didn't have faith in the idea of NIMBYs. I'm actually quite proud to be a NIMBY. And I've involved myself in a number of local organisations way before I became involved in in Civic Voice. But I've been to the Hampstead and Heath Association and they uh, claimed to be uh, the earliest amenity society having got together in 1835 to save Hampstead Heath. Actually, they've done a pretty good job. They've done it by being a little autocratic perhaps at times, and a little bit straightforward about what Hampstead Heath should be, and sticking to it, and in a way London is quite happy that they did. But I was able to say that actually the frontages in Fitzroy Square, who got together in 1708, I think, to form an association for the people who lived on the square to try and make sure that the garden in the middle was maintained and that the frontages of the houses designed by Robert Adam weren't allowed to fall into too evil a state of disrepair. They've been doing their work in a fussy way sort of autocratic, sort of didactic way for quite a long time and they've been quite successful too, even at a time when Fitzroy Square was full of car transporters and was the middle of the car, used car business in London. So what I'm saying is that local societies often do know about the areas that they live and they do recognise what is worthwhile about it. And if you take civic voice, it represents nearly 300 separate societies now and growing all the time. And that is a voice of at least 300,000 people. If we're going to act as one, we need to be able to talk to not only those people, but everybody, the electorate. And of course, experts and the advice that we're getting here, which is detailed and complex and sometimes quite difficult to take in as one, is very important and vital advice from urbanists. It should be encouraged to come forward. But my feeling is that what we need to do, if we're anxious to create places, is take the population with us because what's happening at the moment is it's being explained to everybody that we live in a state of emergency. That emergency apparently can only be solved by pulling down any barriers, loosening the ties and allowing um, uh, 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 the private enterprise to opportunistically rebuild Britain. Now the truth is that opportunism is not going to do it, as somebody pointed out. It can't do it because actually the process of building a house, and I speak as a developer, means that it's an expensive thing to make a house. And to assume that we can create homes for everybody when it's going to cost £200,000 with the price of land to produce each home means that we're producing homes that most of the people who don't have homes won't, will, will not be able to afford even when they're built. So we have to look at other ways of solving this problem because the other thing that's unique and this is another point very cogently made today is that the, the, the situation is not the same in parts of Liverpool as it is in parts of Harlsdon the situation is certainly not the same even in in, in Budley and Central Leeds and I've gone to talk to both and I made the mistake of going to talk to the Civic uh, Voice Association the Civic Society of Leeds and talking to them about conservation and a look of puzzlement came over the faces because they were anxious to build a few new car parks to keep to bring Leeds into into into, into more into the 21st century one of the things is that different places will require different solutions. And I think that is the constant that we've been echoing all the time in this meeting, that each situation is, to a large extent, different, one size doesn't fit all, and too simplistic a go-and-build directive is actually not really going to help anybody because bad reactions to emergencies just create worse results. And that's why what we need to carry forth is to go forward and say there are a few red lines, there are a few basic understandings that we as a community understand about places simple level it's trees <laughs> it's the idea that we're designing a place which is actually rather beautiful to be in. at another level it's access to transport at another level it is actually things like green belt and though I understand the idea that green braces might be something that we go oh well well that's what we should definitely have now instead of green belt we still need to talk to people about the necessity of green belt because once we accept as there's a letter in the times I think nearly every uh every month from somebody saying what what is it with Greenbelt? Why are we so obsessed? Unless we get rid of Greenbelt we will not. Well the truth is, we actually need to say at some point, no, please, please, after the Second World War, we introduced a series of quite strict and stringent uh, directives which should stand through good and bad times. Because if they can't survive through bad times, then they're going to, they're going to break down and they're going to be no use to us. I think we should reward good practice more and I genuinely I would love to hear, and I'm sorry I can't remember who was saying it. the idea that people should try and help people to go abroad and see what is done, but just to travel around their own country and see what is done and visit successful cities would help quite a lot. There are some very good examples of vibrant and interesting cities to visit and they all give lessons to what might work in other places. I uh, happen to believe that we uh, need to think of sustainability as a word that can be used t- t- to mean virtually anything. But if we talk about the future, that's really what anybody involved in conservation and architecture is about. Do, or can we, with our hand on our heart, say that in 100 or 200 or 300 years' time, people are going to come upon the things that we created and built and say, yes, they certainly stood the test of time. Yeah, they're good. They're really valuable. They, they, they added to the value of this country. Now, those simple tests and simple directives are what, unfortunately, we have to try and find a way of putting into the directives that we make in, this, uh, in these letters that are written. Because if we can keep it simple, I think we'll, we'll be able to score points. And if we can keep it simple, we'll be able to win the hearts and minds of everybody in the country. And nothing will be achieved unless we can do that. And if we give in entirely to the idea that the emergency uh, allows anything. Anyway, thank you very much.